Oh my God. The climate scientist at the permanent institution of climatology and predicting the world's demise based on a Celsius degree forgot to include one of the most fundamental aspects of the climate and weather clouds. Interesting. Oh, I don't even know what I said about Sam Harris. I probably said he's a shill. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. We have been off for a week. That's why we haven't been releasing episodes. So we are back together. I was out for Labor Day traveling across the country. Um, No, I just went to Grand Teton National Park. It was very beautiful. But what were you up to? I don't even know. We haven't talked to each other for a week. I was... uh... I played a lot of video games. Um, that's, that's good. Uh, yeah, I really like uh, this video game series. I've only played the like five and six. I played them six and then five. It's they're called Far Cry, and I don't know if it's like a because I don't know anything about video games. I only have been playing video games for like I don't know a couple weeks now. Like we just bought the thing and then we were like, let's <laughs> oh. play these. And uh, you've never played video games before. You're just now I, becoming a connoisseur. I always had video games. Like, I remember I even got an Xbox original, whatever that was called. And I had a Nintendo 64. We had the Sega and stuff. I don't know if it was like my attention or something. Like, I, I liked them, but I couldn't play for a long time. Like, I never had that problem, which is weird because mm-hmm. I have a really addictive personality, but I just could never get into them. And I think usually what would happen is I would, this is like a Jungian experience for me, I feel like in life and just in general, but I would get to a point oftentimes where like, I just didn't know what to do anymore. Like I never beat the game. I could never <laughs> beat it. I, I didn't even know people beat games. Like, you know, I, I thought if you did, you were like amazing, but I just, it was just me. Like I just couldn't beat games. I, I would. You just get stuck. Yeah, I would just get stuck. Oh, my God. And I just couldn't do it. And I would get so mad. But now, I could play like 10 hours a day if you let me. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. And you I'm have just... that uh, new disease or whatever, video game addiction in the APA. It is. I'm beating everything. Like, I'm just, I'm kicking ass and I'm like sad that I'm beating the games. I'm like, now I have to play a new game. I have to figure out how to get into it. But this Far Cry stuff is amazing. Far Cry 6 was so good. Far Cry 5 is really weird. The story, I like, this is what is really, I think, pivotal. The new games. This is a video game podcast. I love these games that have like a really in-depth story that goes with the game. So then I, I think it helps you when you get stuck. You're like, well, this is a problem. Like, and it's a big problem. It's bigger than just me. Like, I have to figure this out. For this whole world I'm in, like, <laughs> oh I have God. to do it. So anyways, it's just really good. But the one I'm playing now is Far Cry 5. I went back because I was like, I just want to play another one. So I got to get the older version. And the story is wild. Like you're in like Montana or something and you're in a county and a, like a super religious cult has taken over and is like good. drugging everybody. I mean, it's just wild. Like, how do you even come up with that? As you're like, just this crazy story. I mean, it's just wild. I love them. So that's what I did um, a lot because I was not feeling super hot. I wasn't sleeping. 
so I could just sit there all day. I also may have a uh, just this just happened yesterday. I don't even know if I've ever mentioned this. That I told did I tell you I was waiting for Chris. We won't say his last name to get back to me about maybe working, like having getting an actual job. Yes, yes, yes. So I finally. Well, I didn't hear <laughs> yes, back yes, from yes, him. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I, I finally hounded him enough to where I'm. He's like, we're gonna start doing something. It's an interesting niche. The title business. What is this? Basically, yeah, anyway. you're like you're discovering information about titles for like land, for property, yeah. And I guess you work okay. a lot with like insurance and lawyers or whatever. But it, so um, you're going to be helping people get their property rights established or or not whatever. the provenance for property, as they say. This is so niche that once you're in it, like it doesn't translate to anything. And I'm like, good. I cut wood for a living, right? Like I literally, nothing on my resume translates to anything I've ever applied for any fa- like any other jobs. It doesn't matter, but it's so dependent on the economy. And he's like, and we're in an, a bit, I wanted to bring this up. So it's like, a, I'm kind of segueing. The most mm, recent, yes. okay. did you see Tim Dillon on, uh, with RFK Jr.? Yes. He interviewed RFK and his wife, Cheryl. Yes. His his Great handler wife Cheryl Hines. Also, yeah, whatever. We won't go into that. But so, you were saying real estate depends on the economy, though. So I'm guessing it's probably bad business when there's not a lot of land being sold or whatever. I think it's like it's really good when the economy's booming, and it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really bad when it's not, and it can get really bad. But there's like a little wrinkle in the bad side, which is that if a lot of foreclosures are happening. That can oh. also be kind of good, but it's a little weird. I think it's better when the economy is booming. And so mm-hmm. what he said is nobody gets into this job unless it's not like a nepotistic thing. It's just that you there's no degree for it. There's nothing. There's you either like he sure. said literally you, just have you to learn it. Someone someone in your family does it is what he said, or you have some like rando relationship with somebody, and. That gets you uh-huh. in. Like you have a friend and they're like, hey, I make a bunch of money. You want to make a bunch of money? You're kind of transitioning. He said, right, otherwise, right. the only way you get in is you have a booming economy. And because it's so tedious to learn that if there's no – that it's literally like a very economic situation like where firms are forced to hire people because they don't like hiring mm-hmm. people because it's so intensive to train them. And it's such a weird thing that people don't like doing kind of. and. Basically, he's like job security. It is. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, so I said, well, I'm thinking it this way: is either the apocalypse is coming, so it doesn't matter, and whatever, I'll just I can play video games or I can do titles. Exactly. Or (laughs) we're on the edge of the crisis. (laughs) Yeah. Let me learn on a downturn, and then so this is what I was thinking because I had that conversation with him after I saw RFK. I'll stop talking in a second, but I just the first few minutes of that podcast. He put out this kind of statistic and I guess I never, I guess I, I knew implicitly like I had seen it because I've have, I've, we talked about Kim's sister buying that house for like no money. And then now it's worth 
like a bajillion a dollars. Ridiculous amount. I mean, it's like, and it's a literally house. I mean, it's I'm not... like the person at my work who was like on their Slack thread recently with a Slack is like business messaging channel. And someone uh, posted, they were like, hey, I'm selling my house. Anybody interested? You know, check it out. And uh, I looked it up on Zillow and I saw uh, how much she had paid for it and how much she was listing it for. She was uh, listing her house for, it was a nice house. For eight hundred thousand dollars, you know, is a is it's a big sticker price. Uh, but she paid five hundred thousand dollars for it just two years earlier, which and is I still was a lot like, of money. But that's are crazy. You scamming everyone? Like you think you can make three hundred thousand dollars in two years for an asset that has been used? Like literally, it would be like you drove your car for two years, and now you're trying to sell it for more money than you <laughs> bought it for. So I don't understand the housing market. Well, That's absolutely insane. And it's unethical, honestly, I think, to be doing that. And you would only do it to people that you don't know. But anyway, back well, to RFK. That's, Sorry, an inter- that's actually Sorry. more up our alley of discussion, like how interesting that fact is. But at the same time, it's a really... I don't know. I don't know. that It is weird. I... I I have this like piece of myself that I keep shuttered away because I don't agree with this person in me, but there is a part of me. <laughs> I lock that part of myself in the basement. Well, yes. every every Marxist, every socialist, every communist, I know some of these people and they all say the same thing. Well, we never tried real communism or real socialism or whatever, you know? Which is dumb, but it's the same problem that like capitalism has. Like if you had, we haven't ever really tried real capitalism either, right? And what is it that's missing from capitalism? What is it that's missing from all the attempts at communism, at Marxism, at, at socialism? The thing that's missing, it's actually not a missing thing. It's an additional thing, and it's this thing called human fallibility, human frailty, like corruption. Like none of those systems, right? It's almost like any system could be a good system if people would just like literally Adam Smith who wrote uh, the moral sentiments or whatever. Like the same guy who pioneered uh, free market economics was also very concerned about the morality component. He was like, "Well, you know, here's a system, but not complete without some moral sentiments that people have." And I've had interactions like that where I like where if it's not crazy. Like, let's say you're just selling something or you you sell something or whatever, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will like hassle you or haggle you or don't want to pay, whatever. But there's also, I totally understand and I'm totally fine with, and I've, I've sold things under these, this pretext of like, I'm trying to make money, you know, and I'll like, I've even had to tell people that like, I bought this thing for this much money. Like when I sold that old sawmill, I was like, look, I bought this. And then I, I used it a little bit, yeah. But I, inst- I bought it for X amount of dollars. I put, I bought a brand new engine, installed the engine, fabricated this thing. I've literally bought. So I, I was like, basically, I bought this, upgraded it, and I'm reselling it. I used it for a few months, and people right. were like wanting to pay less than I paid for it, especially if they found out what I paid for it. Because like, well, you used it. I'm like, I'm just making a little bit of cash because I spent like three grand on it like extra right it'd be like if you renovated your home or your car or whatever and that totally makes sense the thing i don't understand is i well i it's like i find interesting i guess is how 
when it's people you know, you're less likely to like be kind of scammy about it. Like you're like you're not going to cut a family member, you know, or a friend like a bad deal on something you bought. Now, you may not give them like you're not going to lose money on the deal. That sure, it may still be reasonable. Like, hey, I'm still going to make money on this or whatever. It's going to be reasonable. Like I'm not going to get less from you than I could just sell it or scrap it or whatever. But you when it's not family, I feel like you have that incentive to like kind of scam people like that lady selling her house for 300,000 more dollars than she bought it. It's like you wouldn't sell. I mean, what could you imagine like me selling you a house that I bought three years ago or two years ago for like 300,000 more? I mean, it would just be insane. I would be like making $300,000 off you. The weirdest thing about it is that she tried to sell it to people that she knew. Right. That's the problem. It's like, go make 400 grand on the house to some freaking stranger not to me that's rude that's like when i sold my car right i didn't get but that's a weird phenomenon yeah i listed my car for like seven grand and then i told all my family i'd sell it to them for like five you know right but like if i sell it somewhere else i want if i want seven because you know i'm not because that's a transaction whereas if i'm doing with my family i'm like also trying to help you out now what if that translated to the whole economy right how we operate in general that would that's what i'm saying is that like then it, then any it system real works. Yeah, any exactly. system works. Exactly. You're looking out for each other. In I a mean, socialist like, world, yeah. you take my money and you don't wage war and you actually – I would actually feel like it was benefiting the war, my situation or my country situation. I could – it would be palpable. And then the whole like you're stealing my money thing, I'm just saying the angst about that would be reduced. It just would be. Right, right. So the RFK quote, though, what uh, what was the stat that really shocked you? Because there were a couple ones in there. One that really shocked me, at least, was um, just the amount of housing that's being eaten up by BlackRock and State Street and yeah. uh, Vanguard. All of these uh, financial companies are literally buying up single-family homes. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I don't that- know what they're doing. I, me and Kim were watching this together for just a few minutes. We didn't even I, I I listened the whole thing, but then while we were watching it together, it was just a couple minutes. And I mean, I just kept pausing it. I'm like, "Unbelievable. Can you believe this? I cannot believe this." But there's like a little thing he says right in the beginning. It's it's basically what you're talking about, but I I'm not so there the BlackRock angle is a crazy angle. But here's here are, is my screen okay. being shared? Yeah, roll the clips. Okay. <laughs> Oops. And when I was that age, I was already thinking of, you know, buying a house. He's talking about being like twenty, late twenties, early thirties, etc. How am I going to do it, etc. Where do I want to live, you know? And I don't know any of my kids' friends who are even thinking that. A lot of them are living with their parents, um, and. You know, they, 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 the chance of them actually buying a house is, unless they do incredibly well with their lives, is very, very slim. And my kids are, you know, they, they have good jobs, they make money, but, um, but it's not enough to buy a house. And two years ago, you had... I wanted to pause it, but I couldn't find the keys. Okay. So that is like so palpable. That's so so real, so strange. And I totally believe it because my dad, when he was 10 years younger than I am now, I'm young. I mean, I'm in my very early thirties. 10 years before this age that I am, my dad was buying his first house and I'm pretty sure he was buying it, buying it in cash. So 
That's crazy. Now he's about to tell us. Let's listen to it, and then I'll say this. Jobs, they make money, but um, but it's not enough to buy a house. And two years ago, you had uh, you had the, the the average price of a house was two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars, and even that was out of reach for a lot of in kids. America. That was the average. And that was the average across the country. Okay, on the coast, it's much higher. This is the average. Today, it's four hundred thousand. It's two years ago. And that's the first thing. So that's unbelievable. Double two years. Great. Double in two years. That's unbelievable. It's like that lady I work with, three hundred thousand dollars in two years. It's she's giving you a hell of a deal. She's it's not even she double. Didn't, she's two hundred thousand dollars off. She's like, Hey, I got a great deal, guys. I'm only gonna make three hundred thousand. So that's unbelievable. I mean, that is, I can't, there's no other word for it. That's incredible. It's unbelievable. It doesn't make any sense that the price in two years of a, of housing, average price of housing has doubled. Yeah. That's, and, and it really matters when the thing that's doubling in price is already the biggest investment you will probably ever make in your entire life. Oh and, yeah, and that and, and that, it's like an essential. It is the essential thing to own. It's a home. It's the thing you live in. Like it's what where are you live. About? This is how you pass on. He he talks about some of the stuff, but like this is how you pass on. One way that you can pass on wealth, wealth to your yes. family, that like, to get you out of the fuck that you're in, and like, like we can only and if things are going the way they're going. That's that's that is not happening in a vacuum. So, like in a sense, you might think, well, oh wow, our parents own a house, and if that just keeps happening, God, we'll be rich. But you know, when they die, because we might have houses, you know, but that's not happening in a vacuum. Something really, really messed up is happening when housing, when it's when it every two years is doubling, but it's not every two years. <laughs> it's not just housing prices that are going up. Yeah. Right. For two years, a hundred percent rate. Yeah, it's that's crazy. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's unsustainable. It represents probably a lot of underlying problems that are going on in the market. Um, and yeah, it's just not a, a way to operate a functional society. We can't operate that way. Where it literally, literally, you, yeah, the biggest thing you purchase. It is, yeah, unsustainable. Not sustainable. Not possible for that to be the future. And if it is the future, if that doesn't change, and I don't mean change like has a little correction like you know they always like jack up gas prices and then they lower it like not as much as they jacked it up so they can incrementally increase the like that's not the kind of change that has to happen we need to like reverse that like that's so you have to reduce it by uh, 50 percent now yeah are people gonna make 100 percent more now i mean (laughs) no no way and so what does that mean is one thing but that i mean it just that's crazy but there's something else that he says in this. I don't know if I should play it or not because I don't know if it's right away that he says it. But and you're now paying, you know, you were back then you're paying maybe three percent interest. Now you're paying seven percent interest. Also a problem. The house is three or four or five times expensive, and there's no way any. And then everybody has this experience of knowing somebody who is about to buy a house, and then somebody comes in just before they go into escrow. 
somebody comes in with a cash offer and snatches out from under them. And this this is just BlackRock, now Vanguard. a ubiquitous experience. And what's happening is not only are we aren't we, you know, suffering inflation from the, the constant wars, eight trillion dollars on war, eight trillion dollars that we didn't have on regime change wars since two thousand two. We're also, um, you have these three giant companies, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, who own, who all own each other. You know, BlackRock has ten trillion dollars under management. These are all private equity companies. Yeah, they're the biggest companies in the world, and they right. and they are they own, I think they own eighty eight percent of the S and P five hundred. Those eighty eight percent of the S and P five hundred, and they own each other. They own everything. They run they own the world economy. They run the world economy for, for all well, intents yeah. and purposes. This is where we're getting all of the the stuff, like the woke and whatnot that all the corporate companies do. I mean, because these are the real decision makers. What's weird is that they're walking that back. And the question that I had the other day is, why are they walking it back? Was the woke thing some kind of genius ploy where they're like, look, okay, this is the point I didn't make a second ago that I wanted to make. What does a world where this isn't, I mean, catastrophically reversed, what does that world look like? It looks exactly like that World Economic Forum article where you will own nothing and be miserable. They say you'll be happy. Be happy. But- And this is the point I made to Kim. I kept pausing it and saying this because it is so unbelievably difficult for even me, even me, a genius, to understand (laughs) that when in my lifetime, this is, try to imagine this. This is, this is the kind of change. This is how hard it will be to make this kind of change. The level of conviction that people will have to have on principles and moral to reverse out of this you mean to reverse out of this this is the level i'm about to describe a situation okay yes that you'll have to you have to agree with you'll have to agree with the conclusion that i come to in a general sense on many and many realms of your life in order to allow for this kind of change to happen and you'll see how difficult it is because i think most people will have a knee-jerk reaction to this in my lifetime, which is not long, in my memorable lifetime, so like pre, like from like when I was 10 or something, you know, this is the, so just a couple of years ago, basically. 20 years ago. If, if you ever entered the airport, there were no like mile long lines. There were no, there were no things to walk through. There were no scanners. There no were no. TSA, yeah. There was not, none of that stuff, nothing, the, an airport that you go to now looked 0% like it looks today. There was none of that security, none of those um, like military looking people walking around, not a thousand employees every direction that you look, not 7,000 lines to go through, no x-ray stuff. I, there might have been like the send your bag through a, a an x-ray. That might have been, but I don't even think, I don't even know if it was. Yes. But yeah. So in our lifetime, they whether you think 9/11 was a real thing or a not real thing or whatever, some people with some sand people with box cutters did it or someone else did it. The 
the, all of that came after 9-11. And by the way, happy 9-11. It's 9-11. Um, I did not intend for this to be like a on the yes. on the date thing. But Okay, where are you going with this? So where I'm going is you have to people have to re- realize that going back to a world where you just walk into the airport, buy your ticket and get on the plane like it's a bus station is the kind of world you want to live in. Freedom. I don't think that most people would feel safe anymore without there being all that security theater. I don't think most people want that. They can't imagine undoing that to such a degree, undoing the security state to such a degree that walking into an airport is like hailing a taxi. And I think that's the kind of change that you actually, that the country really, really needs. Mm, And it's mm -hmm. never going to happen. And I mean, I don't know how that will ever happen. You have to ask yourself, what the fuck happened to the world? Because even before I was born, like there used to be all these hijackings of planes and all this stuff. But that all, all that's happened is I, the question. I mean, this maybe is a question. Has that behavior, actual legitimate behavior, not legitimate, but like real behavior, like not false flag behavior, like just crazies. Has that gotten worse and worse and worse? Or has it not actually gotten any worse? And it's just all theater. The security theater has gotten worse, but people are more well-behaved. Or are we actually – because I kind of think if you just took all that away, I actually think for the most part everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. But there is, a, there is a question that – or would there be like blue-haired, two-spirit, not lesbians – hijacking planes for the environment or, you know, or something and blowing shit up and causing problems. I don't know what the answer is, but I think it's more along the lines that ask a thousand people, would you hijack a plane and, and fly it into a building? Would you hijack a plane and demand a bunch of money? By the way, the hijacking's never ended. research method. All they, all those, all those hijackers back in the day, they just wanted money. They didn't even they didn't kill people because nobody that, that's that's psychopathic behavior and the percentage of people that are psychopaths is tiny like it just doesn't happen but we're convinced that like almost mm-hmm. everyone's a psychopath and everyone would just blow up planes and go crazy and if you didn't have laws like you know I mean it's just I don't know I but that I believe is the there's kind always of a like, trade off for safety yes it's always the same trade off it's always your freedom. For security. And that's just crazy. It's always that. And we live in a world now where that's just getting worse and worse and worse. So anyways, that's the kind, I, th- I believe that's the kind of catastrophic change that has to occur for for things to, to like get back to, I don't know. It really got well, me. Well, I mean, catastrophic change is happening. So it's going to take something extreme to get us back. I mean, 200% increase in home prices over two years. Right. I mean, you're going to have to see at least 200 or 100% increase in two years to get back to where we were. So, and we can't keep going in this direction because I mean, what, like, like we said, wages aren't going up, blah, blah, blah. So it doesn't make sense. But I was thinking this. So the property rights thing. Oh, go ahead. We're on a delay. I was going to say, so just on this particular topic again, I, it took me a moment for some reason to realize what that time frame was. That's what these people did during these lying liars did during COVID. Because that two years, what was two years ago? 
two years ago was the basically the culmination of the scamdemic of shutting down the whole fucking world economy and changing everything. So they did that in a catastrophic way. And those people that were behind that are bad, bad, bad people. The only thing I wanted to say about property rights, um, because you brought up property rights, because, okay, what's the big deal if property gets so expensive, you know, that no one can afford homes? Well, one of the interesting points that RFK made in that podcast is, well, you're not really a steward of a community in which you don't own property in that community. You're not actually a owner. And so he's like, you don't invest in keeping up the community. You don't invest in the local schools. You don't care about who gets elected. If you're just a renter, none of those are interests to you. You're not rooted in that community. And so you don't have a vested interest in it. And that's a very interesting proposition is that, you know, when you have low rates of homeownership, you see less community and literal interest in the community. And I think you see that in large cities with high uh, populations of renters. You know, you see that in San Francisco, in New York, in L.A., these, you know, places where you don't really own anything. A lot of people are just renting there in apartments and stuff. And you Especially can see how Especially with like goes. things like property taxes. Like think of how much more involved all those people would be. So they know their rent goes up every year, but there's a middleman that ha- is that's that they think is the cause of that. But half the time, they're not the cause of it. The cause of it is that property tax goes up or this goes up or that goes up. And so you don't have any, uh, you have no stake. So you, you almost like don't even get a voice. You can, but you, but, but you're, since you're separated from it, you're, you're less inclined to like go to the meeting and argue on behalf of your landlord that his property tax right, going up and exactly. it's affecting your rent. Whereas when you just get, like we have this house here and they literally send it to you in the mail. They're like, here's how much money you have to give us. And you look at it, and this last year or whenever it was, I told you, I think I mentioned on one of the episodes, it was over 100% more money than the last year, than the previous tax. Yeah, It went up like by thousands and thousands of dollars. And it was like, what? Right. And I mean, that's crazy. But you actually have a say in that, like you were saying, like you can vote on the property tax ordinances and elect people me to off. decide those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, when you get that bill that says it doesn't say your rent is going up for a mysterious reason, so you're paying more money for because your landlord said so. It's you're paying more money. Here's the actual receipt. It's the government. They say so. They say you owe this. There's no middleman there. You just go, what the fuck are you talking about? And it makes you want to go down to the city hall. It makes you well. It makes you want to figure it out. Like I started looking it up. I'm like, who says who? Like where did this come from? I'm like, what part of the government? decided that my bill was going to go up 200%. Like that's, and you just start getting, that you're automatically involved and you want to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, yeah. And if you don't have property, then you're just subject to the rental rates of the people that you're renting from, the landlords, and those go up and up and up. I mean, we have a storage unit that we've been paying on and literally the price gets raised every month. And it's like, we started below $200 for this storage unit and now we're paying more than 300. And it's like, What's even going on? Like, and I just can't do anything about it. You know, it's like, it's literally insane because we can't go and move our stuff. We literally moved away. So it just sucks. And I mean, this was the point I was going to make. This all culminates in, you know, so if we have a society with property rights, which we do, our society is at least in Western societies and I would conjecture all of the world. Yeah, they're based on property rights. That's how the law can intervene, how you can get taxed on property, how 
You can, we can protect your property with civil law. So it's all based on property rights. And if we're going to live in a society like that, then ownership is freedom. Ownership is freedom. So when you hear the WEF say something like, you will own nothing and be happy, what they're really saying is, you will own nothing and have no freedom. You will have no freedom. And why is that the case? It's because property owners, like I just said, get to decide what happens to their property. And if you don't own any property, then other people, property owners, get to decide what happens to you and how you use their property. And it's enforced with the rule of force that's militarized by the government. So it's the monopoly on force that's weaponized against and for property owners. Right. So Larry Fink, BlackRock guy, when he... Okay, I get it. He didn't write the article. They tried to pretend that was like some op-ed, like, oh, it was just an opinion piece by some rando. No, no, no. Everything, their policies, their their talking points, everything they do is perfectly in line with you'll own nothing and be happy. And it doesn't, Larry Fink is not on board with that thinking, oh, and I'll own nothing. No. Right, no. He'll own, they will own I'll everything. own everything and be phenomenal. Yeah. You'll (laughs) own nothing. We will own everything. And it gets disguised. That kind of thing can be disguised behind like institutions and corporations and non-governmental or or uh, establishment type things where it's like, well, nobody really does, you know, own it. You know, you can make it look like there's no real ownership. But, you know, like like nonprofits, you know, have employees that make zillions of dollars, like the Goodwill guy. I'm not saying he shouldn't make it. I'm just saying that like the guy working at the Goodwill or shopping at the Goodwill isn't making what the CEO of the nonprofit, hardly existent non-corporation of Goodwill, like he's still a gazillionaire by being the CEO of Goodwill or by being, you know what I mean? Like that gets disguised and people, they, they can, so it's almost like they can really say that and almost not be lying, but it's still kind of not true. There's still some kind of ownership and there's other and really like you were saying like the whole everything works on property rights like the economy like trade like all of that's based on property rights right i mean if we were to going to have a radical departure from property rights and live in another society sure then maybe property rights aren't freedom maybe freedom is something else but in the society that we live in where property rights are the cornerstone of literally capitalism and capitalistic markets then that's freedom any because market. otherwise people just get to tell you what to do. It's the cornerstone so of really any what market. These, yeah, really what these WF people want is to be able to tell you what to do with their property under, under penalty of uh, use of force and injury by, weaponized by the, the government and the, the military and the police. So I, I think people really don't understand that. And I don't think people think that oh, you know, it's not like, oh, I just won't have a home. It's like, no, you won't be able to have a say in what's happening to you and in your community and whatnot. And again, I think you made this point brilliantly in another podcast, which is these people, like what's yours is yours. And these people, in order to get more, have to take away what's yours and claim it as theirs. And so I feel like you have to resist that. And we, yeah, these people who are coming in and snatching up all these single family homes or whatever it's like they we that's what the point rfk made it's like we could change the law and like maybe you can't own more than one or two single family homes maybe corporations can't own any single family homes 
You know, like homes are not for sale to corporations. Sorry, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And here's and that's, of course, true. I mean, but and here's this is a really scary thought to me is so housing has doubled in the past two years. Yet still, we have BlackRock out there buying all these single family housing, uh, whatever, everything. They're buying everything, farms, everything. And then you have to ask yourself. This is, I've heard this kind of argument from dum-dums like Brian Callen, who I like. He's like on the Sam Tripoli podcast where he kind of – he doesn't play it. He is this person, but he like, you know, plays the uh, guy that like thinks everything's fine, you know, that like BlackRock is just operating under like really intelligent capitalism <laughs> and stuff, you know, like just whatever. But you have to – so ask yourself – pretending that that is somehow true i can't imagine it personally but let's just pretend like they're buying that as an investment you know like well we that's what they do they buy stuff they think can make them money do you is there going to so if i buy if i'm if i'm blackrock and i buy a million houses that are double the cost that they were two years ago am i expecting a course correction absolutely not why, if I did think that the economy was going to get better in that regard, I would not be buying all these houses for double what they were two years ago. If I thought that my best opportunity to sell them is going to is going to be in an economy down the road where the price actually normalizes and goes back to what it should be, so right, they don't right. plan on letting go. They plan on making everything this turning everyone into a renter, whether you live in a house or an apartment, or whatever. I mean, I don't know what yeah, else they could be doing. we got to make money off of these assets that we've bought somehow. So, yeah, we're not going to sell them outright. I mean, the only way is to rent them. Yeah, we bought them for a ridiculous price that they're they can't, they're not even worth, to be honest. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it doesn't make sense. So that's terrifying. Um, this is in line. I have another little clip here. More clips. More this is, content. This is from episode 1588 by the No Agenda Show. And just because I brought this up, this is kind of what I was talking about being like tangential to what I was saying earlier, but the COVID thing kind of being part of the situation. Two years ago, housing doubling. Because it all years. happened during COVID, yeah. And I've said plenty of times that all those people should be something bad should happen to them. In prison. Or, I've said countless times they're lying liars. They're, they're liars. lying liars. And here's here's this is a, a super cut or super. I don't know what they call it, but here we go. A perfect super clip, which gives you all the messaging we receive from Anthony Fauci over the three year oh. COVID period. And He's the messenger. People should not be walking around with masks. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And masks are protective. And we, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. There has not been any indication that putting a mask on and wearing a mask for a considerable period of time has any deleterious effects. There are unintended consequences people keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face then can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there of course you do not need to wear a mask indoors if in fact you've been vaccinated good that you're vaccinated 
But in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. If, in fact, you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. When the children go out into the community, you want them to continue to wear masks. You know, if you look at at, at children outside, particularly when they're with the family, uh, walking down the street, playing a game or what have you, don't have to wear a mask. The, 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 The pediatric, the Academy of Pediatric actually makes that recommendation that children should be wearing wearing masks uh, from two years old onward. And you're asking now, if your child is a member of your household, can you walk outdoors with your child without a mask? According to that chart, the answer is yes. But the child can't, not to beat it it to death. Yes, yes. Because now the CDC says, I mean, I think I've got this right. One mask is better than zero masks. Two masks is better than one mask. But you don't have to have double masks. Is is that right? I mean, you know, it became clear that cloth coverings that you didn't have to buy in a store that you could make yourself were adequate. And then you want it to fit better. So one of the ways you could do it, if you would like to, is put a cloth mask over, which actually here and here and here, where you could get leakage in, is much better contained. Are you a double masker, Dr. Fauci? Look like you are. <laughs> so that's just a little, a little bit to show you of the lies confusing messages no, it's just one it's just it contradicts a contradiction unbelievable after contradiction thank you clip uh, collector for doing that steve Jones. but i want to mention something here anyway they make another good point but we'll stop it there that is just i just wanted to share that with everybody there's plenty of these clips on the internet but that is when people i get this thing where people you say is all bullshit is all scam is all lies and they go well, I mean, maybe it wasn't as bad as they said it was at the time, but people were scared. And were... <laughs> no, 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 no. They're liars. They lied over and over again. They said a new thing every other day. And when you are making that many decisions and you're changing your your mind or you're just deciding different shit every other day and you also caused houses to go up 100% so that the average American cannot even afford them. Fuck you. Fuck your mother. Fuck you. Like, oh, that's well, bullshit. Well, those could be separate issues. I don't know that Fauci and the medical... You're doing the thing. Responsible the, I for don't the know. Housing. I mean, maybe. What's your but point? I, look, I do take the point that, yeah, this was ridiculous. They The uh, NIH and whatever CDC was making crazy decisions like recommending that people you know do all these things and then would change their mind immediately and it wrecked businesses that's all for sure 100 percent. it was as bad as people thought it was probably even worse now the housing stuff i think is like tangential you know it's related to all of this government maneuvering nonsense mumbo jumbo but i think that's part of the larger government apparatus than just Fauci and blah, 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 medical people. But this is how they do it. This is an example of an institution. This is the highest level public health people on the face Mm. of the on the of the planet. Okay, they're the decision makers in that regard. And these people at the top, they should know apparently every single thing. You should do exactly what they say and they can make policy on a whim. They know the truth. And they've had tremendous effect. That is the situation. That is the level of corruption 
and make no mistake, Fauci, that was, he made, he had vested interest in all of this stuff. Just, you, I talked about it. Read the RFK book. So these people are totally corrupt at the top level and they have no shame. They never, will, will never pay a price. They will lie and lie. I have another clip that I'm not going to play that's, I don't have queued up, but where he's doing, it's the exact same kind of clip, but instead of being masked, it's about like the vaccines and stuff where he's literally saying the vaccines keep you out of the hospital. They don't keep you out of the hospital. They do keep you out of there. You still get COVID. You won't get COVID. You're killing your grandmother. You're not saving it. I mean, back and forth, back and forth. And then another, there's another one out there where he's saying, literally, he's like, I didn't, uh, I didn't recommend to shut down the world economy. And then he, another, uh, literally another episode of Fauci's blathering. <laughs> he says, uh, uh, I rec- I was the one who recommended we shut down the economy. I mean, he's a fucking liar and he's at the top level and this is just how this stuff happens. I mean, it's just, to me, people need yeah. to like understand that that's how the world works. It's a bunch of... Well, I mean, these people are just saying what's politically convenient and expedient to get what they want. They're not committed to the truth. And that's clear because some of those things... Because the argument would be on the other side, I think. It's like, well, the science was changing and we really didn't know. And I think that's the argument that people like Sam Harris take. Well, it's like, well, it was, you know, the research wasn't in and we didn't know any better. It was novel. And I was like, some things weren't novel. Like, the efficacy of masks was known and could have been known immediately, and has but been I th- known. There's I think a principle fixes this, that. though. Like, so mm. you say, let's give all the benefit of the doubt. Fauci was just, he is the world's pre- preeminent expert. He knows more than anybody else. He's the best man for the job. Love all Fauci. That. This is let's actually a say, Fauci promotional podcast. <laughs> you could say all you want. He's never done a corrupt thing ever. Look, I'm going to mark every, it here. Fauci for president 2024. That's what's going to happen. Okay? Exactly. If that's the case, what it's st- this is a principle that si- that this is an evidence, by the way, in my opinion, that how how effective having principles can be. Not being having, uh, like uh, ideological policy. This that. I mean, none of that. I'm just saying. You like things you can figure out through like logic and thought and just being a person, being a principled person. Yes, without any rules, no conspiracy needed. I mean, even though there was clearly a complete and utter conspiracy, but uh, no conspiracy needed. The fact that those clips all exist shows you that you cannot give over. Every let these people decide what's best for you, decide what's best for the world, because even if he was being totally honest and even if the quote unquote science is changing, which is not a coherent sentence, because that's not what science isn't a thing that changes, doesn't make any sense. Science is a process. So even if that you even if all that's on the up and up. Well, they destroyed the world anyways, by by telling people what to do based on their innocent mistakes, best case scenario. And the best case scenario happens to be borderline apocalyptic at this point. So what I'm saying is that is not the way we should be. This is not the right kind of world. We're not doing this right. We need to like stop with all that is my point. And, right. and yeah. 
whether you want to believe those people or not, that's fine. But you don't believe them and then say, because I believe them, uh, steal the business away from all the mom and pop shops and give it to McDonald's and Walmart. Steal the, all right. the individual firms and give it to Amazon because I mean, emergency. whatever happened to restraint? It's like we used to what not like, no I mean, that. yeah, we used to not act when we didn't know. I mean, don't do something drastic on a whim. Like that's because they like a say basic that's why. Okay, well, now you've brought back conspiracy. The fact of the matter is, either they they know, they know what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they acted, they did the things. So well, so this leads into the other thing I want to talk about, which is this article that has come out. It's very exciting. This is breaking news, everyone. Two Princeton MIT say. Two Princeton-MIT scientists, I was about to call them something else, say that EPA climate regulations are based on a hoax. MIT scientists, Princeton and MIT scientists. So uh, you've been hearing a lot of news, you know, people like Vivek Ramaswamy coming out and saying the climate change narrative is a hoax. And then people who are like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's getting pretty hot out there. Um, We may need to start cutting people off of gas and who said that coal and Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. Yeah. He said that in the Republican national convention debate or presidential debate. But uh, so William Happer, H-A-P-P-E-R, professor emeritus in physics at Princeton University and Richard Lindzen, professor emeritus of atmospheric science. Those uh, special words. That means that these people have a lot of status in the academic institution. Uh, but Richard Lindzen, professor emeritus of atmospheric science at MIT, argued that the claims used by the EPA to justify new regulations are not based on scientific facts, but rather on political opinions and speculative models that have consistently proven to be wrong. Uh, yeah, so they say, quote, none of the studies provide scientific knowledge, the studies of the EPA is using, provide scientific knowledge, and thus none provide any scientific support for the proposed rules. All of the models that predict catastrophic global warming fail the key test of the scientific method. They grossly overpredict warming versus actual data. They stated, the scientific method proves there is no risk that fossil fuels and carbon dioxide will cause catastrophic warming and extreme weather. I'll say that again. The scientific method proves there is no risk that fossil fuels and carbon dioxide will cause catastrophic warming and extreme weather. No risk. That's what two very esteemed professors at Princeton and MIT said. So that is just completely wild. They said all of this to the EPA in a presentation. Um, But there's a lot, and I will link the article in the show notes, but it's just so crazy. So they show, you know, a couple of things. They present some evidence. The I have a clip on this too, so I'm glad you're bringing this up. Oh, okay. Yeah, one of the things is that there's very little uh, correlation between uh, CO2, atmospheric CO2, and temperature. So they present CO2 and temperature data indicating much higher levels of both CO2 and temperatures than today with little correlation between the two. They argue that current CO2 levels are at historically low points. Which is well-known. Yeah, if you look at the CO2, and they look at literally thousands of, hundreds of thousands of years here of Earth's history, which 
most of the time, these climate models, when they try to show you this stuff, they only present like 70 years of history or something. When you look at all of the Earth's history, the climate just has been all over the place. The temperature is up and down and CO2 up and down. And we're actually at a low point. So it's just crazy that you never hear that talked about in the media. Another thing um, they talk about, which is well known in the farming community, is that more CO2 in the atmosphere leads to more plant growth and higher farming yields. Duh, if you to... have a greenhouse, you you literally buy CO2 machines and pump them in there and it makes your crops grow bigger and better. It's a worthwhile investment. It's been well known for a hundred years that if you do that, things work better in a, in a, right. a greenhouse. They literally do that. They like make CO2 to feed yes. the plants in the air. It's good exactly. for everything. And, and by the way, fertilizer. they changed this recently. It used to be pollution. Like that was the problem. Acid rain, pollute. back when we had Earth oh, and yeah. we were in elementary school, it was all about like all these other things. Now they're like, no, it's carbon. Carbon? Carbon? That's a completely inert, completely right. inconsequential thing. It's like good. It's what makes life and stuff. It's crazy. The core that molecule just, of organic life. Yes, it's carbon. unbelievable that they chose that as the thing. It's like because they want to tax... You, because you're carbon, everything you do, you breathe, you fart, you shit, everything you do, you eat the food. I mean, it's because they, it's, it captures everything. It's an, an unfixable right. problem, just like all the other issues that they like to harp on. They're unfixable problems. So it's the best kind of problem. Right. Anyways. And so, but I was saying the, if you do try to reduce carbon emissions, there are definitely serious consequences from doing that. So they were saying, Net zero goals would reduce CO2 emissions by more than 40 gigatons per year, reducing the food supply proportionally. Because, again, CO2 is good uh, for plant growth and farm yields. And also, synthetic fertilizers are derivatives of natural gas, which obviously also increase food yields and whatnot. And the world is increasingly dependent on fertilizers and farm yields. So if we decided to get rid of CO2... Well, even if it were organic yeah, stuff, it's the same. Devastating. It's Organic fertilizer is the same problem. I mean, synthetic fertilizers, I don't like anyways, but even the organic ones sure, are, yeah. you get them from like, they're carbon-based things like manures from chickens and cows. And it's all this, a nice working system. But so even, but even that these people would say is no good. So it's not like they want to get you away from synthetics because it's good for the environment. No, they, they, they'll have a problem with any of it. That's why they don't want to, we can't have any cows either. We can't have because they fart. Can't have that farting. You can't have the right. cows, you know, because you can't eat chicken and cow. That's not good. I mean, you're gonna. It's gonna. It's a. They're literally. It's the worst plan I've ever heard of ever. No, it's terrible. So then the other thing they talk about here, uh, so they talk about the greenhouse effect, which is the the whole premise of all of this climate reducing CO two nonsense is that, you know, the sun, the CO2 helps trap more of the sun's radiation, and that warms the earth. That's the greenhouse effect. Now, um, they, they say in this article, one aspect of CO2 emissions that global warming models fail to take into account, Mr. Happer said, is a phenomenon called saturation, or the diminishing effect of CO2 in the atmosphere at higher concentrations. So, what does that he mean? says, yeah, he says, if you could double the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere from 400 to 800 parts per million uh, by volume, and that would take a long time, he says, the amount that you decrease radiation to space is only 1%. So 
Literally, if we double the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, the increase in, you know, the change in the warming is only 1% because that's, that's caused by the increase or the trapped radiation, the sun's radiation. So he's saying people don't understand. It's not like proportional, like for every 1% of, you know, more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, we get 1% more warmer temperatures. He's like, no, you could literally double it and it would only increase warming by 1%. Right. Okay. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, there's what? There's what something else. About? Here's something else they leave out of their climate models. This blew me away when I heard this. And thank you, No Agenda Show. One day I'll donate to you, but I'm broke, so I can't right now. But listen to this crazy conspiracy theorist. I mean, world-renowned physicist. Heaven forbid he's a Nobel Prize winning physicist who knows what he, you know, he's oh, like no. a guy. So let's listen to what this guy has to say so we can just remind ourselves what's what. Now zooming in on the debate over climate issues, Nobel laureate John Clauser says all the major climate models are flawed and that there's no climate emergency. He sits down with American Thought Leaders host Yanya Kellogg to discuss. Dr. John Clauser won the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics for his contribution to quantum mechanics. In a recent episode of American Thought Leaders, he explains why he considers major climate models to be flawed. The IPCC has 40 different computer models, all of which are making predictions, and all of which are being quoted by the press as predicting a, a climate crisis apocalypse. The problem is they all are in total disagreement, violent disagreement with each other in their predictions, and not one of them is capable of predicting uh, retroactively, of predict, uh, explaining the history of the Earth's uh, climate for the last hundred years. I'm going to pause it there because that's his first point. So if you take these climate models that they use, the IPCC or whatever that the major climate group institution, and you use their models that are dictating all of our policy regarding climate and all this electric everything and all this stuff. And you run those models and see if they would predict, not the future, because the future is uncertain, but you see if you can apply them retrospectively to the past. See if they, you can start it here in the past. And if it would, if it works, it would predict what came after, which we now know what came after because it's in the past, so we have records. And it doesn't, their models, all 40 of them, do not, are un, are incapable of predicting the weather and the climate that's already occurred. Right. And that their was models, the first point that I made in this yes. article. These two scientists are saying that, yeah, all of these models fail the test of the scientific method because they can't even. Uh, predict actual data outcomes that we can observe. So it's not just they're not good at predicting the future. They can't even predict current and past outcomes. It just don't map onto reality whatsoever at all. Right. And by the way, if you have a weather app, check it every day, every single day, and just see how accurate it is. I am telling you, because I am a prolific gardener, they are always reliably wrong. Almost reliably, the only thing you can trust is if it says 0% chance of rain, it's probably not raining. But if you, the, and if I'm talking, the further you go out, it gets worse. And I'm not talking days. You can't trust the next day at all. 
It can't predict the afternoon. And yeah. they're like, well, weather is so... Look, you can't predict the future global climate if you can't predict reliably, on average, the weather. The weather that's... Ha- I look at my thing sometimes, it'll say... No, it'll say raining now. I'll look outside, not raining. It'll be like 100% chance of rain in blank Georgia. I go outside, it's literally will be sunny half the time. They can't even predict that. Now, let's keep, let's, let's see what variable they forgot to include in their climate models. These geniuses forgot to include in their climate models, according to this Nobel Prize winning physicist who probably knows how to do math and stuff and figure out statistics and, and models. Clouster says all the major climate models fail to consider one key variable, the effect of clouds. He says the models oh. are done with a cloud-free Earth when the real Earth is shrouded in clouds. Mm. The cloud cover fraction fluctuates uh, quite dramatically on daily, weekly time scales. We call this weather. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have weather without having clouds. And it is this fluctuation in cloud cover of the earth that causes what I would refer to as sunlight reflectivity thermostat that controls the climate, controls the temperature of the earth, and stabilizes it uh, very uh, powerfully and very dramatically. Uh, This mechanism, totally uh, heretofore unnoticed, This is clearly the most important, the controlling uh, mechanism for the Earth's temperature and and climate, and it dwarfs the effect of CO2 and methane. All the government programs that are designed to uh, limit CO2 and methane should be immediately uh, dropped. Oh, my God. The climate scientists at the permanent institution of climatology and predicting the world's demise based on a Celsius degree forgot to include one of the most fundamental aspects of the climate and weather, clouds? Interesting. There's still uncertainties in the physical climate system. And this is really embarrassing because people are like, come on, climate scientists, like you had one job Um, and we're working on it, right? But... The wild card is really clouds. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah. the climate scientists forgot to include clouds. That's almost like forgetting to include the sun in your climate <laughs> models. It's absolutely ridiculous. No, they say that in this other article too. They, you know, don't account for the the water cycle, the cloud effect. Like when temperatures rise, there's a natural compensatory effect of more uh, increased cloud coverage, which actually uh, works to reduce global temperatures. So yeah, all of that's left out of the models, uh, which this is, is exactly the thing, the point I was making with Anthony Fauci. Again, this, I, and what did I say? I said, this is how every top tier institution of global control works. They're full of shit. They're either innocently wrong as fuck or they're lying liars in it for a buck and for notoriety or whatever it is that they're in for. And we're letting them do exactly the same thing with climate that we let them do with COVID. 
You fucking well, lie or change your mind every other day, shut down the world economy, change like global policy, basically. And now you're going to do the same exact thing, which they've been dying to do for a hundred years, it seems like. Use this climate bullshit to freak everybody out and to get their policies pushed, change over the entire energy system of the fucking world so that we can have a whole new energy. I mean, all that equates to ultimately, it's like the military industrial complex. What's good for the military industrial complex? War. What's good for the climate industrial complex? Climate catastrophe. Climate and and energy, you know, changing over the energy systems, all this stuff. It's bullshit. And they're liars or they're wrong. And we got to like, this is hopeful in a way. I sound like I'm hysterical because I kind of am, but it's like, it's, maybe this is like a good sign that we, you know, see like it's just, the, I mean, it's not like mainstream, but this information is like coming out and we just have to yeah, take yeah. this guy's word well, for it. But I mean, he seems probably, it sounds right. I mean, I don't know how you could make those claims and not be completely shut down immediately if it were not true that they forgot to include clouds in their model. Well, yeah. So I wanted to say two things. Um, one, just another piece of evidence to the warming or whatever. Like people like to talk about record highs and record low temperatures. They mentioned that in this article, like going up over time. And there's been, uh, you know, they'll say uh, an example of misleading data used by the EPA as proof of global warming is shown in the chart below, uh, which shows the, you know, more daily record highs and more daily record lows. And as you get closer and closer to the present, you see more daily record highs. But then they show the average temperatures year over year. And actually what you see is that it was much hotter in the 1930s than it is now by a long shot. Somewhere in the 1930s, the heat index was peaking out at around 1.3. Comparatively today, the heat index is only around 0. 0.2. 1.3, 0.2. Oh no, so, it sounds like an emergency. Yeah. It's just, yeah, there's just an overwhelming amount of evidence. But so to your point, though, about how does this stuff happen, you know, the money train. And, uh, well, they talk about that in this article, too, about how people get money for being a climate scientist. And, uh, you know, where does that money come from? Well, it comes from government grants and you have to get a grant. And they were saying, you know, well, all of a sudden in the 1990s, people started becoming Climate scientists, going back to 1988 to 1990, funding went up by a factor of 15, a factor of 15, 15x the funding in 1990, Mr. Lindzen said, and you created a whole new community. This was a small field in 1990, climate science. Not a single member of the faculty at MIT called themselves a climate scientist. But by 1996, only six years later, because the funding increased, remember, by 15x, Everyone was a climate scientist at MIT, and that included impacts. If you're studying cockroaches and you put your grant cockroaches and climate, now you're a climate scientist, and now you get that money. So, I mean, that's how it works. The government, these policymakers like Fauci and whatnot, like you're saying, they decide, hey, we're going to give people money to study climate, climate impacts. And that just totally reorients the incentives for higher education and research and whatnot. So you have all this money pouring into climate and now you have all these people doing research on climate. And it's, uh, yeah, that's how that works. It's exactly the same situation. If you read the RFK book, it's, I mean, I don't, there's might not be a single difference between what happened with NIAID and 
virology and AIDS and now COVID and all this different stuff, it's exactly the same. It's all public. It's all like grants and funding and you, you don't get the money if you don't say the right thing. You just don't get right. the money and everyone knows that. They say that in this further down in this clip, I think basically that there was like an article. It may even be the one you're mentioning now that I'm thinking about what you were saying, but like basically they're saying they'll publish these papers and they'll leave out certain things. And then after the fact, these scientists that they omitted certain things from their research because they knew it wouldn't get published if they included certain facts that aren't conducive to the narrative. And what is narrative? Like we harped on a couple episodes ago, stories it's all just stories it's all bullshit it's all lies it's crazy i can't and we know that's happening in academia people can't get their papers published if they say you know incorrect politically inconvenient things about race or gender with the the females versus male thing which is it's not a female versus male thing but i mean that research is pointing to that fact i think it doesn't even matter male female it's but the thing that they were discovering about quote-unquote females is that they were worried about the impact of the research, of the actual facts. So they would like not publish or whatever certain facts that were not right, happy exactly. facts or something. And it's like that if, if that's the level of corruption that's happening now in just this episode, we've pointed out two of the most prominent issues of our day-to-day talking points in politics and everything and global you know, housing and climate yeah. things, things that are happening on a global scale, like policy wise and whatnot. Well, that's the level of corruption. It's it's like mostly just bullshit. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so the consensus, though, how do we get the consensus that climate change is real and whatnot? So that's the other part of this I wanted to talk about. And a report by Cornell said that more than, quote, this is a quote, more than 99.9, wow, that's a lot, 99.9% of peer-reviewed scientific papers agree that climate change is mainly, mainly caused by humans, according to a new survey of 88,125 climate-related studies. So, uh, one, we just talked about, though, you can't get published if you disagree with the narrative. So obviously there's a consensus because we only allow the papers that agree with the pre-manufactured consensus to be published. So obviously it works like that. That's just ridiculous. It's just what ridiculous. What a sad state of affairs that every, yeah. our whole, like, it doesn't have to be this way. Like, people but need then, to, like, have some balls or something. Like, what the hell? Literally, yeah. So Mr. Harper uh, goes on to argue that consensus is not science, citing a lecture on the scientific method by renowned physicist Richard Feynman, who said, if it disagrees with experiment, it's wrong. Feynman? Yeah. Is it Feynman? Feynman. Uh, If it disagrees with experiment, it's wrong, obviously. So these climate models that don't agree with reality at all are wrong, obviously. Science has never been made by consensus, Mr. Happer said. The way you decide something is true in science is you compare it with experiment and observations. It doesn't matter if there's a consensus. It doesn't matter if a Nobel Prize winner says it's true. If it disagrees with observations, it's wrong. And that's the situation with climate models. They are clearly wrong because they don't agree with observations. Consensus is the business of politics, he goes on. But yeah, so I just thought this is another interesting thing because how does this all happen? You know, how do we, well, one, you have the, you know, the publishing, these peer-reviewed journals and whatnot. They have this whole publishing 
monopoly going on where they only allow certain papers that agree with certain facts or have certain viewpoints to be published. So that's like a way of pre-manufacturing consensus. But there's also, you know, these large governmental organizations and think tanks and political lobby groups and whatnot who do something called the Delphi technique, which we had a podcast on that we never published, but the Delphi who, method who or Delphi technique. the Delphi? Feynman? No, I was just saying this is how this, is, this gets done, the Delphi technique. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Another way of creating consensus is uh, how oh, these right, right, yeah. lobby organizations do it is they, they use something called the Delphi technique where they will literally – so it's like a research technique. And it can be used to understand what a consensus is, but it can also be used to literally create a consensus or the illusion of consensus because you poll experts on a topic – like if you were interested in trust and security, for example, you may pull a series of trust and security experts to say, hey, what are the you know, the top security risks in cybersecurity today? And you may just want to see what do the experts on this topic really think about it? And then you'd get their answers. It's open form. They'd write in their answers. You'd sort of summarize them. Then you'd send them back to all of those people that you recruited for the study. And then they'd you know, clarify and say which ones they agree and what issues there are. And then you sort of refine back and forth with the experts to get you know, what are the top issues in cybersecurity. And that would be a way of doing Delphi. But another way of doing Delphi- pivotal to that is like, so you send your opinion if you're an expert, and then they send back everyone's opinion to you so you get to see what everybody else said right so there's a immediate peer pressure thing they claim it it eliminates peer pressure but it literally it literally creates peer pressure but yeah go on right that's the dark side is yeah you can also use it to like manufacture consensus so you get everybody's replies obviously no one has seen everyone else's replies and then you sort of you know create you could just create something or you could sort of cherry pick things and you could just you could Maybe even take the lowest common denominator. What are the things that everyone will sort of sign off on, uh, even though they don't really 100% agree with them? And then you would send that back and you get them to sign off. And then you say, okay, yep, 100% of people agree with this, even though we know that in these studies, oftentimes people will say things like, you know, it's really so complicated that you can't boil it down to a couple things or a couple bullet points or, you know, there's no real consensus around this issue. Or maybe like you can't, every family is different. Like they've done these studies in like families in the United States. They said, what are the common marital problems? And, you know, people would write back saying every family is different. You can't really summarize family marital problems on the national level like that. And so obviously these, you know, Delphi methods are used to create consensus in that way. And so that was what I want to point out too. It's just like, how does consensus get created? And I think, one, you have like these, you know, peer review scientific journal papers uh, that only accept certain ideas. And then you also have like these think tanks and whatnot that literally create studies for the purpose of saying like 99% of people say this or 99% of people think this. Yeah. And that's just a little part of it. I mean, there's obviously all the incentives, like the financial incentives, getting funding, all that kind of stuff. I mean, if you're a scientist in an institution a lot of times you're being paid, I'm performing studies, the studies have to get published. If I'm not publishing, then my institution's upset with me because I'm not giving prestige to the institution by getting published papers. So if I'm not getting published, I have to figure out why I'm not getting published. Well, it seems like I have to say the right things to get published. So I start saying the right things and the right things are based on consensus. I mean, it's this whole cycle of like, exactly. it's, it's actually hard to believe they accidentally created the worst possible systems. 
Like, how did you do that? <laughs> Could like, it get so and far I, from science if you tried? It's like the it's the pole. It's like literally the opposite. And I think that that what that is like what happens there. Yeah. Well, it's what what I think it's a larger phenomenon, and I think this is the thing that that people don't see. It's a very meta kind of take on this, but I think that what happens is that this is why doing the right thing is so important because mm-hmm. that system. It took so long to get into place that it probably it, it probably it may have been masterminded by somebody at some point. And there's probably people that are totally aware of how it works and are 100 percent happy to be within that system because they profit so greatly off of it. But what happens, what what happens, I think, ultimately, even in those cases where it is masterminded, is that it's it's just little compromises of not doing the right thing over and over and over again. And if you just do, and what are the, what is doing the wrong thing? It's giving into things like just a little bit of greed, you know, just a little bit of vanity, just a little bit of this, just a little bit of that until that builds and builds and builds and, and fully over time, completely and utterly corrupts the system. And that's what happens. And that's why it is so important that people as often as they possibly can speak out do the right thing, have principles and not like these, like, cause there's people out there that think that they're doing that. And the problem is, is that the normal people, like normal average everyday human beings don't do it like the crazy radicals because that, that process that I'm describing is also the process that like the blue haired, two spirit, fat, non-lesbian thinks that they're doing. They think they're speaking out and those people do convince themselves like it's possible. Like we were saying that Anthony Fauci, it's not true. I do not believe this, but it's I'll I'll let other people think this, that it's possible. Those people think they're doing good somehow, some way think they're doing good. But and they get away with it because everyone else doesn't. Uh, It takes a lot to get things that are institutionalized undone and. What I'm saying is that the opposite is what has to occur to reverse the the system. Obviously, if the system is created going in one direction, you have to go in the opposite direction. Not the opposite direction as in just being a contrarian, but not, not going along to get along. Like when people have something – because I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the Delphi in a way like – Less consensus manufacturing, more tolerance of diversity of ideas and disagreement and debate and discourse instead of shaming and yes. polarization. And yeah, the, what I'm saying is it's a risk to do that, but you have to take the risk because right, it's imperative. Right. It has to happen. Otherwise, we just keep going down this road. Right. And we're back to the trade off of uh, safety, you know, whatever. Like, what do you give up with, for more safety? And I feel like, and more freedom. And yeah, you give up these sorts of things. You give up uh, truth. You give up autonomy. Yeah. yeah. Now, okay, I have this little quote. This is related. Uh, I was going to bring this up in regards to something you were saying privately that I don't know, we probably won't bring up on this podcast unless you know what it is, but about, you said, you sent me some text about Sam Harris or something. And then I said, oh, I'll tell you what that is. But this quote goes along with what we've been saying anyways. But so I don't know if you want to preface it with the Sam Harris thing or. Oh, I don't even know what I said about Sam Harris. I probably said he's a shill. He was talking about 9-11 and he was like, 
you know, we didn't really know what was going on and it was so confusing. And then he used this as like, I mean, he was literally shaming people for having conspiracy theories about 9 He was like, some Americans, some of our neighbors believe that 9-11 was a conspiracy perpetrated by the government and how awful that would be. And it's just like, dude, you literally think that like people should come in, like police officers should come and hold you down and vaccinate you by force. Like, what are you talking about? You are not a credible, you cannot, you do not stand on a pedestal to shame people for criticizing the government who we just played a clip of literally says just whatever they want to say. They just contradict themselves left, right and center. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's unreasonable for people to uh, be critical of the government or not believe the government. Of course, it's reasonable to do that. It's actually crazy not to uh distrust the government at this point it's literally crazy to believe what they say at this point and that makes you sam harris crazy so he's a perfect example of the types of people that aren't listening to us and don't agree with this way of thinking that we're promoting which is just thinking i that's what i call it but people have a a way of thinking yeah just yeah it's just i don't care what you think just actually think (laughs) and think and do now so this explains a lot of what we've talked about today perhaps and it also explains that type of person the complacent person the person that just goes along with whatever's said from the top level of these corrupt institutions because they believe that they're just there's no way they could all be corrupt how could that possibly be well today we explained exactly how they can be corrupted and we've given multiple different ways in which that's possible. Now, I'm reading this book, another Jacques Ellul book, and this one's called Propaganda, The Formation of Men's Attitude. Jacques Ellul was like a, whatever, scientist, not really, but kind of a, a scientist. Like he was well-known guy, dead now. But he but wrote anyway. about technique, which inspired uh, the Unabomber, which, you know, not to violence, but gave the Unabomber a lot of thoughts about society. We did yeah. a big, big deep dive on that. You can go listen. Jacques Ellul was actually kind of the opposite attack, uh, tactic kind of guy. I think he was like considered like a Christian pacifist kind of. So, I mean, I don't know if he was always a Christian when he wrote this stuff, but he, I think he eventually was like, he found a moral system. He's like, you got to have this kind of stuff, but whatever. So he's very, very smart, very, very deep thinker. This book is amazing. But what I'm actually about to read to you is an explanation um, from the introduction, which is not written by him. I think this is written by his translators. Um, and the translation people that have translated technique and that translated this are very intelligent uh, people, um, which is why a lot of times I find some good content in the introductions written by translators of his works. So, which, again, a more preface. Oh, preface. Yeah. The first half of this will be... The first half of this is not going to be as easily understood, but I, for some reason, I just kind of have the feeling that it's necessary to read the first half, and then I'll, I'll make the point. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll drive it home at the end. Okay, so Elul distinguishes various forms of propaganda and calls his book Propagandas. The plural is one of the keys to his concept. The most trenchant distinction made by Elul is between agitation propaganda and integration propaganda. The former leads men from mere resentment to rebellion. The latter aims at making them adjust themselves to desired patterns. Wait, what's the former and the latter? Can you say that one so part again? This is the part that's like not quite as important, but it is kind of 
related. So the most trenchant distinction made by Ellul is between agitation propaganda and integration. So agitation and integration. So agitation, the former, leads men from mere resentment to rebellion. That's agitation propaganda. The latter, so that would be the integration propaganda, aims at making them adjust themselves to desired patterns. Mm, That's integration. The two types rely on entirely different means. Both exist all over the world. Integration propaganda is needed especially for the technological society to flourish, and its technological means, mass media among them, in turn make such integration propaganda possible. So, here's the kicker. A related point. Central in Ellul's Ellul's thesis is that modern propaganda cannot work without, quote-unquote, education. He thus reverses the widespread notion that education is the best prophylactic against propaganda. On the contrary, he says education, or what usually goes by that word in the modern world, is the absolute prerequisite for propaganda. In fact, education is largely identical with what Elul calls pre-propaganda. The conditioning of minds with vast amounts of incoherent information already dispensed for ulterior purposes and posing as facts as education. Elul follows through by uh, designating intellectuals, Sam Harris, or everyone who thinks that they have a little bit of smarts, Elul follows uh, through by designating intellectuals as virtually the most vulnerable of all to modern propaganda for three reasons. One, they absorb the largest amount of secondhand unverifiable information. Two, they feel a compelling need to have an opinion on every important question of our time and thus easily succumb to opinions offered to them by propaganda on all such indigestible pieces of information. Three, they consider themselves capable of judging for themselves. They literally need propaganda. Wow. Well, that almost sounds like just everyone today. I feel like he, because he wrote this probably before the modern age where everyone's just consuming tons of secondhand information. Everyone literally, I mean, it's like a meme. You feel like you need to have a reaction now. This is copywritten in 1965. Oh, wow. That's why I think that he's so important, Elul, because his stuff holds up and more than it probably did when he wrote it. It's yeah, even wow. more intensely true. Um, I well, think that's there might so be one interesting. More. He says, in fact, yeah. the need for propaganda on the part of the propagandee is one of the most powerful elements of Elul's thesis. Cast out of the disintegrating microgroups of the past, such as family, church, or village, the individual is plunged into mass society and thrown back upon his own inadequate resources. His isolation, his loneliness, his ineffectuality, propaganda then hands him in veritable abundance what he needs, a raison d'etre, personal involvement and participation in important events, an outlet and excuse for some of his more doubtful impulse, impulses, righteousness, all factitious to be sure, all more or less spurious, but he drinks it all he drinks it all in and asks for more. Without this intense collaboration by the propagandee, 
the propagandist would be helpless. That, I think, perfectly encapsulates our modern era. The problem with the information that we think we have, the things everyone thinks they know, that 99% of all climate scientists agree that even though we forgot about clouds, that the climate's going to kill us all, and therefore you have to give all your money and and make so it's many sacrifices. And don't drive your car <laughs> and don't use a gas lawnmower and don't do this and don't do that. Give up, give up, give up, give up your stuff, your freedom, your life, your privileges, your uh, luxury, your anything, everything. Give it all up because we know. Give up your freedom because viruses. Give up everything. Give, 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 give. Make sacrifices, make sacrifices. Because as we all know, you're smart people. You understand what we're saying, us experts. It's all propaganda. It's all bullshit stories that people buy into. And the more educated that people are, the more the more susceptible. <laughs> right. More quote unquote educated. educated you are, the more susceptible you are. And this explains perfectly why Sam Harris makes does unbelievable intellectual acrobatics to say, well, I if the vaccines were perfect and made nobody die, and if they were really effective and worked 100%, and if the virus was airborne Ebola that every person that got died, and if it targeted specifically <laughs> children, then I would be right that we should force by police force at a gunpoint vaccines into people's <laughs> homes in your arms through, by busting your door down. It's like oh my that God. kind of thought process by someone who is as unbelievably intelligent as Sam Harris, a very, very, very smart person with a, probably a genius level IQ in, a, in some regards, verbal IQ for, for sure, yeah, yeah. is that stupid because he is a complete and utter victim to the propaganda and his education and how he thinks he is. And that's the worst place to be in. And those people oftentimes rise to power and prominence. And that and that entrenches that system of, of storytelling. So that noble lie that Plato talks about gets told once, it gets internalized by the next generation. The the people that originated that bullshit die off. The next generation doesn't even remember ha half the next generation doesn't even remember that it was a lie. Starts going down the road of the lie, believing it to be true, and then that compounds and compounds generation after generation until people literally become crazy. And you end up in a world like we live in, where it appears that the inmates now run the asylum. Literally. I mean, well, I mean, that's how you get things like FGM or whatever. You sent me that video on female genital mutilation, and it's this really harrowing video of this woman who underwent what's a common practice in some African countries of uh, female genital mutilation, where they literally take young girls, like five, six years old, and they, yeah, they cut off their uh, labias and sew their vaginas together um, and their clitoris they have no sexual pleasure yeah. they make the hole smaller or sew it up completely so that they right. god forbid don't have any sex and once they do there's no sexual pleasure you know so they so they're very moral you know like this crazy psychotic right and they do it without anesthetic and anything it's totally awful and the girl the video she t shares her story and she just doesn't know any better and she 
literally describes coming to America and thinking and seeing in an American sex education class one time, like a female genitalia and like a normal female genitalia and thinking that doesn't look like mine. Like, what is that? And thinking like she had been raised in a place and she where thought it was that the good. Western version was bad. Like those right. were like, right. Yeah. It's totally terrible. And uh, yeah, I mean, but that's because like you were saying, I mean, you get sold a lie and you just go generations and now no one even knows why you're doing what you're doing. And it's just like a cultural practice and it's so terrible and it's awful to see. And But people don't know any better. And that's you've been living in that society where it's normalized. And yeah, I mean, the only real way out of it, stuff like that, I think is like actual science, like actual truth seeking, like questioning, thinking, like, what is the purpose of it? Like, is this actually even reasonable? What's Why are we doing this? Does this help improve girls' lives? Does this help improve women? What's the rationale for all of this? And I think, yeah, there is none. But when we're not allowed to criticize or question, things like that go on. And people can do unspeakable things, untold things when they're not allowed to question and criticize. And yeah, I mean, obviously, that's yeah. a, you, you can fill in all the context there that you need. But uh, yeah, it's the dark. road we're going down is intellectual genital mutilation, intellectual mutilation, like they're literally lobotomizing people. And it's literally, it's why I think I get like so frantic sounding about it. It's because it's like, it's so, it's just so difficult to believe that people, and it's the exact same point I was making about the airports. It's like most people would, would be appalled by, by, just a normal airport, yeah. just getting onto that's the plane. That's the genital, that's your intellectual mutilation that's occurred to us over time. That you now think, you literally. Right, this is normalized. We have to have. Right, this whereas is good. one generation ago, people, those, your parent, your parents' parents would have thought you're crazy. Or what? anyone that just hasn't seen where we've come right. would be like, you're insane. Right. Like this is, this is the crazy, not that. Yeah. No, it's so powerful, the stories that get told and what people believe and the education is propaganda. And that was the other last point maybe I wanted to make about that is like, so, you know, this climate change hoax stuff, you know, it's all coming out, you know, prominent scientists. I wanted to say that, too, that one of those scientists that I was quoting from is uh, like, this isn't just some little nobody guy. Um, this is like a very prominent person. Um, hold on. I'll find his, Same with uh, that physicist that talked about that? the clouds being forgotten. Right, yeah. No, the guy in this article, Mr. Happer, yeah, so that was a Nobel Prize winner. This guy, Mr. Happer, who was criticizing it, uh, you know, partly he was saying, I can come out and say this now because I'm an older, tenured professor at Princeton. Tenured, you know, it's very difficult to get tenure. Like Being tenured be, basically means you can say what you want and you don't get fired. That's what tenure is. Exactly, yeah. He was a member, he's a member of the Academy of Sciences, and he was the director of energy research at the U.S. Department of Energy. So it's not even like this person is anti-establishment. Like they he literally, literally is the, the U.S. Department of Energy as the director yeah, of energy research. And they're even saying, look, this is ridiculous. So my point is like, if this is coming out about climate science, which has been going on for a long time, and we're like, oh, well, it's all fake. You know, none of it was real, even though we were told that it was settled science. 99% of scientists agree it was all true. We're all, we're all going to die. What are what are they doing now? You know, like today, and we like to make this point. It's like, 
you think things have changed, you know? Like, have the incentives really changed? Like, what things are they telling us today that are just utter and complete lies? Um, and yeah, I think that's scary. And I think, yeah, you just got to be skeptical. I mean, you really have to think for yourself and question, like, what, how do we know these things are true? And what what's the basis for this? We can't just take, you know, what we hear and what we see for granted, I feel like, especially now in the age of AI when everything's literally just could be created by a machine that has no idea what it's saying. And like Elul said, some of this stuff you can't know. So they come out and tell you that this thing, this climate thing, and you don't know anything about it, but these scientists, they do know. Fine. Who fucking cares? The thing that is not said that needs to be said is who cares? Don't you don't have to do what they tell you. You don't have to do what these people say. You could do whatever you want right. because they're wrong over and over and over and over again. And when they're not wrong, they're lying. And that's the thing. And it's not like, and it's, and we've already described how your friends are lying to you that are climate scientists. And the reason they're lying to you is because they're probably wrong because at the very top of all of these institutions, it's basically been a coup, a coup d'etat of all the institu- elite institutions of the world that have any ma- that matter at all have been taken over because of course they have. That's what you would target. You would try to get your your people, your your corrupt bullshit people into the top of these institutions <laughs> yeah. and let all the other stuff trickle down. Let the lies trickle down and or 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 co-option trickle down by saying, well, if you want to do research that says that clouds are important, we're not going to fund that. So you just won't have a job. It's the same thing. It's what they did during COVID. If you just don't want to wear a mask, well, then I guess you just won't have a job and they fuck you over. And it's time for people to stand up. And I think more and more people are doing that and they're not giving a shit. But it's like this whole thing and this whole like meme thing where it's like, if they try to do COVID again, I'm not going to comply. It's like, good. You never should have, but you know what? You probably will, including my friends, because they're weak and pathetic people that just do what they're told, and it's disgusting, and they need to stop. <laughs> it makes me sick. People are weak It is. It's so, it's so difficult. No, I think people just need to find their courage and... Yeah, I uh, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with this 2024 election. I think uh, I wasn't kidding when I said, you know, Anthony Fauci for president. I really think the election could totally just become a complete shit show. They're, they're looking at locking both presidential candidates from each the both of the major candidates from each party are looking at being locked up. So like what happens if they lock Joe Biden, if Joe Biden got arrested and Trump got arrested, what would happen? What would happen? You think they'd let Vivek Ramaswamy become the president? You think RFK could really the Democratic become the Party and the, the Republican States? Party will do their part and make sure that there's never a Vivek Ramaswamy and that there's never an RFK on the left and there's never a Ramaswamy on the right. RFK, if you if you listen to that Tim Dillon thing, he talks about it. They said he says if if yeah. I even step foot in some of these states to campaign, including the state that I live in. If I step foot in these states and campaign, then I get then all of my votes go to Joe Biden somehow. Like that's just some rule. They're just making the fuck up. They're just making it up at the Republican level and at the Democrat level. That's the kind of bullshit that they pull. And that goes to show you, by the way, everybody, that your party is not your party. They're their party. They don't give a shit about what the people of the party want. 
They give a shit about whatever, whatever vested interests and whatever donors that they have. That's what it's all about. It's all corrupt. And I'm sorry. It's a shitty message, but it yeah. is true. And people think that I'm like some doomsday black pill black person, pill. but it's not <laughs> black pill. When you re- all you have to do is walk away from that shit and just, it's just information. You just go, oh, those people are evil, full of shit people. You don't have to do anything about it. You can if you want. I don't know how much traction you'll get, but just fuck them. Do your own thing. I mean, it's like some of this stuff actually exists yeah. within our culture. Like you're not allowed to bring this up in court, but there's something called jury nullification. But that's the kind of thing that like that's like a institutionalized version of what people need to do. It's basically jury nullification is like someone on the jury goes, you know what? I get it. That might actually be against the law, but the law is wrong. And that can happen. That is possible that the law can be wrong. Yeah. Like yeah. if you grow certain plants in your yard, well, you go to yeah, jail. That's no, a problem. Think... That's bullshit. And the whole system, Sam Harris has pointed this out, and it's a good point. It's an attention world we live in. Most of what you have and that those people want, first, first thing they need is your attention. Don't give it to them. And when they when they get it, what they're trying to usually do is scare you. They want to scare you to motivate you. That's what they do. They f- scare you about the climate. They right. scare so they you about COVID. You. They scare yeah. you about terrorists. They scare you about Russia. They scare you about China. Fuck all that. Those people in China are just like you. The people, I mean, it's all we're all just people. Like, Yeah, they're the ones to be scared of. <laughs> you should be scared of the IRS buying all of that $7 million of ammo over the past two years. It's What's probably close to $7 billion, but yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and... Well, there was an article that came out about seven million, but yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and I don't know what's going to happen. I obviously want candidates like RFK and Vivek Ramaswamy, but I'm doubtful that it'll happen because no, I just happen. think, I mean, we're at the point where major candidates for the Democrat uh, Party are literally can't even go on mainstream news and TV to talk. And this is supposed to be the party that's like, there's too much polarization and there's too much debate and discourse and hostility and not enough inclusion. But your own candidate, you won't even platform them. You won't even talk to them. You shun them. And it's just like, you are gaslighting people. This is literally gaslighting. This is the definition of gaslighting, saying like, there's not enough inclusion and diversity, but then your own candidate, major candidate for your party, you're like, we won't even let them talk on TV. It's absolutely insane. They have to go on comedy podcasts to talk, as if running for president is now a comedy. It's a comedy. Running for president is just mm, comedy. That's what it is these days. It's just absolutely bonkers. I don't know what's going on. I don't think we appreciate the gravity of the situation. It's like... A major candidate for president is not allowed to go on TV? What? Well, and thank God <laughs> someone like Tim Dillon exists and that insane. he probably gets more listeners than CNN or Fox because you can't trust. I can't tell you how many times I come across somebody like who will, you could like tell them it's all bullshit and then they'll like listen to something that like a Fox person says or like some talking head, like a Sean Hannity or somebody. And then they're like, yeah, that's right. Like they, it's so hard for people to think for themselves. It's so hard. And I mean, for everybody, for me, it's hard. It happens all the time where I, there are people I like out there like this whole Obama gay thing. Have you been seeing this come up lately? This who hasn't 
Michelle Obama is a man. But okay? listen, this is my point, and this is something I actually. <laughs> you know what? There's. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, but Tim Dillon got kicked off the internet for saying that if Michelle Obama got up in front of China and whipped her hog out, that they would leave us alone. That's true, and it's hilarious <laughs> because they would be like America's so crazy. But this crazy. is exactly the kind of thing that people need to like watch out for. Like, be careful running around saying this like an idiot. You have no idea what you're talking about. First of all, who has ever trusted a crackhead to be telling you the truth? And also, the story yeah, sounds I mean, crazy. I looked into it. Yeah, I I mean, there was a case or whatever with Larry Sinclair, supposedly, and it got dismissed or whatever. There wasn't enough evidence for it to even go through. I mean, that's like the official narrative. So... I I just don't even like even if you believe it, you're like, what is? is there wasn't enough evidence to believe it before. Why would it all of a sudden be true? I it's just the claims are totally wild. It's just it's strange. How did this not come out eight years? Well, he's it the did president? come out beforehand, but it was like, but then that was back when Larry Sinclair died, and it was like, so what? No. Like what's happened? Like what? I don't even get like what, what? That's so weird. Like, because they had a story on No Agenda. I, I can even find it. I'll play it on the next episode. There's like a clip where they talk about how, oh, that, remember, there was like 10, it was like 10 years ago where the guy was, where they were like, look, there's a story in the news where this guy got hit by a car and died. And it was Larry Sinclair. So what does that mean? Like, that's super strange. Oh. I, uh, I guess if you don't want to hear any more clips, know. I'll just send you this other thing privately. But I have a video. Uh, like a minute long from Instagram about um, spy beetle, like spy bugs, like we talked about with that trans person. Oh, my God. Okay, we'll leave it for the next one. Bring spy bugs to the next one. I got to go. I've had enough clip fun from you today. I don't even trust it. This is a minute. It's probably like 10 minutes long. And we're going to go backwards and forwards for another five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I better play this clip. All right, here, it's two bit, two hours in. Oh, nope, it's not. It's five minutes later. No, it's like three minutes back. Well, it's, it's hard to have them all lined up because there's some of them are from the same podcast but different episodes or the same episode but different places in the clip, and oh, it's just like, yeah, jump around. But I wrote my timestamps down. <laughs> <laughs> We're weaving together the red thread of, like, podcast I think this. Like I think a lot of it this. all went together. Everything, like even your topics and my topics, they like wove together. We got it all together. Yeah, we just cleaned up. You're editing Yay. this one. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, we gotta. Uh...